Lord. Let's take your Bibles this morning, please. John chapter 5. John chapter 5. That's the first time they've sang since December 20th. And they haven't even been able to practice. I did notice they missed one note, but that was pretty good. Amen. That was a blessing, wasn't it? Amen. You know, when a song's in your heart, when a song's in your heart, it comes back real fast. That's good. John chapter 5, this morning I like to preach a message with God's help entitled, Sir, I Have No Man. Sir, I Have No Man. Thank you, ensemble. I'm sorry, babe. Oh, children, you may go to junior church. I think they already walked out on me. My memory's sitting in the second row. Sir, I have no man. Uh, Cindy's not even in the ensemble. I sent my wife to get her out of the nursery. She was Judy sick today. So she hasn't sang in about a year. Praise the Lord. Thank you, folks. I appreciate that. John chapter 5, let's look this morning. I'm just catching my breath. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to collect my thoughts, but I have to catch my breath after that. You know, man, I'm undone by the mercy of Jesus. I'm undone by the goodness of the Lord. That's a, that's a southern thing. Uh, you know that? I've, I've come undone. That's what you hear down in Texas. And, uh, but it's a good way to describe what Jesus has done for us. John chapter 5. John chapter 5. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. <clears throat> now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in, was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. When Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool, but while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made whole, and took up his bed, and walked, and on the same day was the Sabbath. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you, Lord, for our salvation. But Lord, we thank you that our salvation was provided because your son died for us. Lord, I pray that we would never leave Bethel Baptist Church ever thinking that there's some other way we can be saved. But it's only through the finished work of Calvary, the blood of Jesus Christ, and what he did for us. Help us never to lose sight of that. Help us never to, to kick that aside and think that we are worth something to God outside of the forgiveness, love, mercy, and grace of our Savior. So Father, I pray that you'd help us, Lord, as we Look at this passage of scripture. We need the spirit of God's help. We pray that he would teach us today. Fill me, I pray. I surrender to you. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. In John chapter 5, we read a story in the Bible that appears in no other gospel. 
As a matter of fact, the word Bethesda is only used one time in all the Bible, right here in John chapter 5. And that seemed odd to me when I discovered that because it's such a well-known story, isn't it? I've been to the Pool of Bethesda in Israel. And we've all heard the stories about the Pool of Bethesda, about this impotent man that was lying there for 38 years and struggling. At the Pool of Bethesda, we read a strange story in the Bible. We really do. It's an unusual way for God to work. This is not a normal thing. For God to send an angel down at a certain season, the Bible doesn't say whether it is a week, a part, a month, every day, a year. It doesn't say. It just says at a season. He would come and he would stir the water. And I looked that up to try to get some sense of that word season and understand. But the definition for the word season was just simply once in a while. It was random. There was no schedule to it. God would at some point turn to his angel and say, go down and stir the water. And God's mercy would be extended at that moment to the first person who could make their way into the pool. It's kind of a strange way for God to work, isn't it? It's unusual. It's not what we would expect of God in the word of God. It's not something we've seen in other places of the Bible. But let me, let me say this this morning so that we understand what is going on. When God works in an unusual or a unique way, he's using it to teach us of a greater truth. There's something else he wants us to see. In this case, I believe it's a comparison. We see that mercy is extended for but a season, but then Jesus comes by. And we see that mercy is unconditional. We see a difference take place when Jesus interacts with this impotent man at the pool of Bethesda, how God changes his life. And so I'd like to go through the scriptures this morning, and we'll make a couple points, and then we're going to get to some principles at the end. But I want you to notice, first of all, what we see in the scripture in the first five verses, we see what I call the house of mercy. The house of mercy. He said, where are you getting that from the scripture? I just read it with you. I don't see the words house of mercy. Do you know what the word Bethesda means? It means house of mercy, the house of mercy. The Bible says it's a Hebrew word. It says in the Hebrew tongue, it means, uh, it's called Bethesda, which literally means the house of mercy. Now I'm thinking about these folks that are around that pool. The Bible says there was impotent, there was blind, there was maimed, there was weak, there was people with diseases and people that were hoping to find mercy and hoping to be healed. And if they were to open up a map of Israel and they were to look on that map and say, where should I go to find help? They might see Bethany on the map up by the Sea of Galilee. But in the Hebrew tongue, they would understand, well, that means the house of poverty, we named our fourth daughter that. That's a great name for a fourth child, the house of poverty, amen? But you wouldn't go to the house of poverty looking for help, would you? It just doesn't make sense. They might see Bethsaida on there. That's where Peter was from. Bethsaida, though, means the house of fish. It was a town of fishermen. Bethsaida, can you imagine the smell of Bethsaida? How many of you like going down to Port Dover when the tugs are coming in? You smell that fish coming out. I like it. I don't know about you. I like fish. But they, uh, they, say, they would look at a map and say, I don't think I want to go to the house of fish. And then they'd scroll across with their finger and they'd find Bethesda. Oh, that means the house of mercy. That's where I'm going to go. And so they would gather 
down to that place. Some would crawl. Some would have others carry him there. The blind would have people lead them down to this place near Jerusalem. And they'd come to this house of mercy with an expectation in their heart. Now this house of mercy, this place called Bethesda, if we were to look around, we would notice it was a place of unspeakable horror. The Bible says in verse 3, and there in these lay a great multitude. It's not just a few people laying around. There's a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. This was a, a sorrowful place. This was a place where everywhere you looked was overcome by sickness. Everybody had some sort of ailment. Somebody was hurting in some way. You would wonder if you were a healthy person, if it was wise to go down there at all. Because you might catch something from the others. I wonder if there was some there that had open sores and wounds that would get off an odor in that place. You wonder if others that were, uh, had other issues in their body and it, it, just, it just became a place of moaning and groaning and painful wails and horror. Can you imagine the pain that people were in? And it wouldn't be a very nice place to visit, would it? Wouldn't be some place that you'd want to hang out unless you absolutely had to be there. It was a place of unspeakable horror. But I want to say this, I believe it was also a place of undying hope. The Bible says in verse 2, Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches, and these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. Listen to verse 4, for an angel. Went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. There was hope. And every once in a while, at a certain season, the angel would go and stir the waters. And whoever could get in there first would come up whole. Can you imagine laying there and people are moaning and in pain and in hurt? And that glimmer of hope comes from the one that comes up out of the water. Changed. Made whole. Found the mercy of God. I would suggest to you today that's what brought this man back for 38 years. Though he never won the race to the water. Though he never could push anybody out of his way quick enough. Though he could never carry himself down the steps and dip himself into the pool in time. Something brought him back every day for 38 years. I imagine he missed family functions. I can't, I can't be there. I have to be at the pool. What if the angel comes and what if he stirs the water? I don't want to miss my opportunity to be healed. It was a place of undying hope. But just enough, just a glimmer to keep people coming back. But I want to suggest thirdly, it was a place of understandable heartbreak. A place of understandable heartbreak. That angel would stir the water and this man who had lain for so long would begin to pull himself to that water and crawl and just before he got there somebody else stepped in. And he'd have to turn around and crawl back to his perch 
lay on his blanket again, wondering, will I ever get a chance? Heartbroken. I'll stop there for a moment and ask you, have you ever felt like that? Everybody else around me is getting the blessing of God. How come not me? I've been faithful. For 38 years, I've been in my place every day. I've missed out on a lot in this world because I've been faithful. And I've tried to serve God. And I've tried to be where I'm supposed to be. And I just keep messing out. I wonder if this impotent man felt like that. I'm sure he was heartbroken. As a matter of fact, in verse 7, his cry kind of echoes that sentiment, doesn't it? I, I have no man. I have nobody to help me. I can't, and when I go to get in the water, somebody undoubtedly races past me and steps in first. For 38 years, he'd lost a race every single time. What a horrible, horrible situation. What a place. What a place of understandable heartbreak. But I want you to notice this, and this is important before we move on. The Pool of Bethesda is a picture, is a picture. Remember I said that I believe God is trying to teach us something? It is a picture of unreliable humanity. Unreliable. You say, why? Here's why. Because at the Pool of Bethesda, the mercy of God is now placed into the hands of men to be its steward. You say, what do you mean by that? How come nobody ever said, hey guys, Brother Rick's been here for 38 years. Maybe we let him go next. He's an old man now. He's dying. Oh, when he came here 38 years ago and he was just a young man, we could justify racing past him because he's got plenty of time. He's got a lot of years before him. There's others who are sicker and in more pain than he is, but folks, we have an opportunity here. God's mercy is in our hands. Why don't we let him go first? As a matter of fact, why don't we help him get into the water? Why don't we pick him up? Why are we so selfish? It's a picture of unreliable humanity. I think about that. I, I think, first of all, we, we look at this and it reveals the flaws of religion. It reveals the flaws of religion. You know what religion says? If I just do this, then I'll get this. Now, that's a pretty simple summary, but isn't that what religion's about? If I just do good works, then I'll go to heaven. If I just perform a certain way, God will show his grace upon me. That's not what grace, grace means unmerited favor. You don't deserve it. There's nothing we can do to earn it. The Bible says all of our works are by filthy rags. I, I see a picture of this flaw in religion in this pool of Bethesda because he said, if I just step into the water, then I'll get God's mercy. Jesus Christ came along and said, no, I got a better way. You don't have to do anything except trust. Nobody is deserving of God's grace. But I want you to know this, you don't have to do anything to receive it either, except believe. 
Just receive it. God has a gift that he wants to give you. It's something that is unmerited and undeserved, but he'll freely give it if we'll just trust him, if we'll look to him. It reveals the flaws of religion if we can just do something. Friends, let me tell you this, it's already done. That's what the Pool of Bethesda is teaching us, that there's this work that can be done, and if you just get there first, if you just step in, if you just make some effort, God will show a little mercy. Jesus comes along and says, no, 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 that's just an illustration. Real mercy comes in the form of Jesus Christ. It shows the flaws of religion, but it also, if you'll look at your scriptures with me this morning, it reveals the failures of man. I just reiterate quickly that these people could have done something, but that mercy, that angel stirring the water made them all very selfish. I understand that they were hurting too, and I understand they needed mercy too, and I understand, but this man had been laying for 38 years. I wonder at times, did God not send the angel to stir the water just to see how his people might react? Will they let another go first? Are they willing to sacrifice to see somebody else helped? But time and time again, this man laid there disappointed and heartbroken because his time never came. As we look at the pool of Bethesda, we see the house of mercy, but in verse 6, I want you to see, secondly, the healer of man. The healer of men. Look what it says in verse 6. When Jesus. Ooh, that's enough right there, isn't it? How many of you know something good's about to happen? When Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? We notice, first of all, the master's compassion. I I don't believe at all verse 6 is meant to be a rhetorical question. It is not a question of him. Uh, Think about this. It would be very silly, wouldn't it? For him to ask that question. Because the Bible says Jesus already knew how long he'd been laying there. He already knew how much he'd been hurting. As a matter of fact, Jesus knew the reason for the pool of Bethesda, that everybody there was hurting. They were impotent. They were maimed. They were wilt. They were blind. And for Jesus to look at a man and say, hey, would you like to be healed? Come on, Jesus isn't silly like that. That's not what this is about. I believe with all my heart that Jesus is saying to this impotent man, for 38 years you've been looking over there. Now you need to look up here. Would you like to be healed? Look over here. That's that's just a picture of the cruelty of the world. All those people that have raced by you all these years, grabbing what they can from God, getting that little bit of mercy that they can find, you've been looking for there for far too long. But here's real compassion. Here's real mercy. And Jesus said, wilt thou be whole? We see the master's compassion, but look at verse 7. We hear the man's cry. He says, sir, I have no man. He missed the point, as people often did with Jesus. 
He never thought there could be another way, a better way to find God's mercy. He never considered for a moment what Jesus was trying to say to him. Jesus, I know where the mercy is, but I've got nobody to help me get down there. I'm impotent, which means powerless. I have no legs to carry me. I have no feet that are strong enough to walk down and step into the water before anybody else does. And I lose this race every single time. Perhaps you've been in that same place. I believe that the man's cry expressed the facts. It it was true. He had no one to help him. But more than that, I believe it expressed his feelings. The fact was he was all alone, but his feelings were, I've been abandoned. No one loves me, and no one cares. Maybe you've been in that same place. But I hope that you'll discover the same thing that this man's about to discover. That Jesus is all you need. It's all you need. Notice the man's cry. He says, sir, I have no man. But notice his miraculous change. Jesus saith unto him in verse 8, rise, take up thy bed and walk. And immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. I'll tell you what I told the warning crowd. That last phrase is just there to bug the Pharisees. The Pharisees don't like when God works in a way he's not supposed to. Amen? (laughs) Isn't that that when we usually get in trouble? When God starts working in a way we don't think he's supposed to work? When he steps outside of our box? God was working on the Sabbath day. Well, that's something you're not supposed to work on Sabbath day. You're not supposed to carry your bed on your Sabbath day. You can read forward and you'll find out this. Well, the man who healed me, he told me to carry my bed, so I'm going to carry my bed. Amen? (laughs) When Jesus heals you, you'll, you'll obey him. Made him whole. There was a miraculous change took place in his life because the man met Jesus. Not because of the pool of Bethesda. I I would suggest to you today that the pool of Bethesda showed mercy in the sense that it healed people's physical ailments. Jesus didn't ask if you wanted to be healed. He said, would you be made whole? To me, that's body, soul, and spirit. That's something the pool could not do. Mercy might heal his body, but Jesus made him whole. There's a difference. Let me give you some principles that go along with this. We've given you the outline. We've seen the house of mercy. We've seen the healer of men. But I want you to see, thirdly, the help of mankind. There are some important things that we can draw out of this passage that would help us today, some principles that we could apply to our life. Number one is this. Listen, listen. Mercy and grace are never seasonal with Jesus. That was the difference between the pool of Bethesda and Jesus. This man who was waiting for that season, that that time where the angel would come and stir the water, Jesus said, you can be made whole now. Would you be made whole? I'm here, I'm I'm here right now. You you don't have to wait. It's not a seasonal thing. 
So many people will say to me, I've heard people say, well, pastor, you know, I'll, I'll come back to church when I get a few things straightened out in my finances. I've got, I've got, to, I've got to take some time and, and, and work every single, every single service, and I've got to get some things straightened. I, I've, you know what? We've got some problems in our family, and once we get those straightened out, we'll be back to church. God's grace is not seasonal. Why don't you call on him right now? God, help me now. God, I need your strength now. God's mercy, not like the pool of Bethesda where you had to be there at the right time and in the right place. It wasn't about the place. It was about a person. It was about knowing him. It was about coming to Jesus. His mercy and his grace are never seasonal. Here's the second thing we can draw. Personal strength is not a prerequisite to finding God. Let me say that again. Personal strength is never a prerequisite for finding God. Do you know what the man said to Jesus? I'm impotent. I'm powerless. As a matter of fact, I need help from other men to carry me down to that water. In effect, Jesus is saying to him, you don't need any strength to come to me. I think that's why the Bible says we call upon the Lord. You can call upon the Lord without any physical strength whatsoever. You don't have to walk. You don't have to run. You don't have to be able to... Uh, my daughter is, is uh, preparing to be a paramedic. That's what she wants to do. And she's looking at schools. And they, the school she got accepted in says you have to be able to lift 150 pounds. So she's going to the gym and she is working out and she's jogging all this stuff. And the stuff she eats, I don't even want to look at. It's crazy. And she's just getting healthy and she's exercising. She wants to be able to lift this 150 pounds. You don't do any of that to come to Jesus. You don't need strength. Here's what the Bible said. But God commended his love toward us and that we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. You say, how much strength does a sinner have? Ephesians chapter 2 tells us, for you hath he quickened who were, what? Dead in trespasses and how much strength does a dead man have? None. So all we do is call upon Jesus Christ. Call on the name of the Lord. There's been times at night where I've been laying in bed and I can't sleep. I'm not a great sleeper. And I'll pray. So don't you wake your wife? I don't pray out loud. I just, just talk to the Lord in my head. You've done that, haven't you? Sure you have. He said, well, do you get down on the side of your bed on your knees or do you go to your prayer? No. Listen, do you know what the man at the pool of Bethesda learned? It's not about a place, it's about a person. Whether you're praying in your pew, down at an altar, in your prayer closet at home, in your bed at night, we all meet at the throne room of grace. That's what matters. And it's not about the place where we pray, it's about the person we are talking to. That's what the impotent man had to learn. It's not about that I have to be in a certain place to experience God's grace. Jesus came along and said, my grace is sufficient. I, you, you can find it anywhere. He is omnipotent. He is omniscient. He is everywhere at once. He is holy God. You don't have to have strength to come to him 
Whosoever calleth on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Here's the third thing. And this, this is so simple, and yet it speaks of the scripture being so profound. Jesus is sufficient. Jesus is sufficient. If that word's too long, you can say Jesus is enough. Let me ask you, can you say that today? Sing, sing this with me. He's all I need. 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 Do you believe that? That's what this man learned. Everybody else was clamoring and fighting and wrestling to get down to that place. And Jesus is saying, I'm all you need. I'm sufficient. And I will never leave you nor forsake you. He says, sir, I have no man. Jesus says, you don't need anybody else. You just need me. I understand that we were created for fellowship. Some of the very first words we find in the Bible, it is not good for man to be alone. I get that. I'm glad we have fellowship. I miss being in church. But I hope and I pray that when you stand before God, you won't say, but God, I had thousands of friends. I had people that loved me. When you get there, all you complete is Jesus Christ. He's all I need. How popular were you down there? Not going to be a question. Did you have Jesus? I hope when you come to a dark point in your life, and you're like this impotent man that says, I have nobody, nobody left, no friends, no one that loves me, you'll remember this. You have a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. And he is all you need. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. Speak to us today. God, remind us that you're a good God who sent us a great Savior. And Lord, our faith and trust must be placed firmly in him to be saved, but also our walk. Each and every day, we must be comforted, we must be helped, we must be strengthened, all by the grace of Jesus Christ. Lord, there's some folks here today, I'm sure, that feel like this man. They feel all alone at times. They feel like they have no friends. They feel discouraged. Would you just remind them right in their pew today that you are the friend that sticks closer than a brother? Greater love hath no other man than a man would lay down his life for his friends. And you died for us. Lord, I pray that you would just help us, Lord, to be a people that relies firmly on Christ, that keeps our eyes on Christ. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Lord, we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand this morning as Lori plays. 
God has spoke to your heart, would you spend some time with the Lord? You can come to the altar. You can pray where you are. But would you enter into that throne room? Some need to praise God. Some need to plead with God. Do you know his presence? Here's what it'll relieve. It'll relieve a lot of anxiety in your life. Because when you realize that Jesus is all you need, you'll stop worrying about your performance and pleasing everybody else in this world. And you'll just start wanting to be in a relationship with Christ. Pleasing him.